Hello everyone, this is Casey, and in today's podcast we're going to be talking about triggering media. This episode of We Believe You has been over a year in the making. Each time we think we are done, a new horrible act happens both in the U.S. and in the world. It would be remiss of us not to talk about triggering media without mentioning the vile and continual acts of white supremacy and violence prevalent in our country. The WJAC is grieving and enraged at the reprehensible acts of white supremacist violence that continues to take innumerable Black lives and emboldened people to act out, most recently with storming our nation's capital in the act of terrorism because they disagreed with the outcome of the 2020 election. By the time you're listening, there will likely be more people of color murdered and more acts of domestic terrorism. We want you to know that, though this podcast shares resources from an IPV lens, these resources are transferable for people of all marginalized identities who are inundated by triggering media. And this is even doubly important to our survivors with multiple marginalized identities. Triggering topics that are mentioned in this podcast include sexual assault, incest, wartime violence, animal and human death, and political coverage. We won't be going into depth about any of these topics, but they will be mentioned in relation to different resources. As always, take care of yourself, pause or stop this podcast at any time, and revisit it if and when you need to. Hi everyone, this is Rachel, and I use the she, her, hers pronouns. Before we get started, I just wanted to quickly introduce myself. I'm a new advocate and educator at the WGAC here at CSU. I'm originally from Wisconsin, and I have bachelor's degrees in women and gender studies and environmental studies. I'm an intersectional feminist, and I love listening and learning from other folks' experiences, especially because I have some dominant identities, including being white, cis, and straight. Before diving into the nitty-gritty of triggering media, let's revisit what a trigger is. Triggers are things that may remind us about trauma we've experienced, any trauma, and frequently come in the form of one sense or another. It may be that seeing a certain color causes panic and hypervigilance, or that a certain song reminds you about an abusive ex. Whatever it may be, triggers are often a difficult part of a survivor's journey that disrupts their days and can take an emotional and or physical toll. Triggers can be caused by any trauma you experience. Interpersonal trauma, racial violence, poverty, wartime violence, and car crashes to name a few. Since triggers are so vast, and reactions to them can be so draining, it's worth taking time to safety plan how to minimize exposure to triggers and what to do if a trigger occurs. I also want to point out that your relationship with triggers will change over time. You may go a significant period of time without being triggered and then suddenly experience one. Remember that your journey is not linear, and that's okay. It's also important to note that you may not know exactly what triggered you, and that's also okay. In today's podcast, We'll be talking about the history of trigger and content warnings, trigger prevention in media such as television or film, social media, and the greater topic of political coverage. Let's start with a quick look at the history of trigger warnings. Content and trigger warnings are now used across the internet and are often mocked by those who are unwilling to acknowledge the real and present threat caused by exposure to traumatic content. The clinical notion of triggering media dates back as far as 1918, when psychologists were focusing their energies on understanding what was then called war neurosis, or the shelled shock state of veterans of World Wars I and II. Throughout the years, the use of content or trigger warnings has evolved to encompass many different types of potential triggers. 
Some survivors, including Roxane Gay, one of our favorite feminist authors, has stated that some trigger warnings perpetrate the narrative that survivors and victims are delicate people who need protecting from the world's harm. And we agree that the narrative for survivors is a tired trope. In fact, survivors are some of the strongest people that we know. So we're not bringing up content and trigger warnings to make a statement about their use or what narratives of survivors they do or don't support. The reality is that we need to move away from the notion that there is a grand narrative of what it means to be a survivor. For the purpose of this episode, we are viewing warnings as helpful for when we know we don't want to engage with certain materials. And that level of self-awareness is a sign of just how strong we are. I know that for me, I can't consume media where a child is being abused. It's part of the reason why I still haven't finished Stranger Things. But knowing about a trigger ahead of times gives me the choice to decide if I want to engage with the material or not. But not all media comes with trigger warnings. Guessing when or where a trigger will occur can be difficult. One area in which there are ways to avoid or mitigate them is film and media. I have heard from survivors who sit down to watch a show or movie with someone, and in the course of the show they are subjected to triggering images of sexual assault or domestic violence. The reaction a survivor has to a trigger can then place them in an uncomfortable position of feeling like they must explain their trauma history or evade the topic, in addition to managing the triggered feelings. Even if a survivor watches a show alone, The lingering effects of a trigger can be painful and disruptive. No one needs that extra burden. Our first recommendation for dealing with triggering media is to check the Motion Picture Association of America ratings. There are five rankings from the MPAA, most of which you've probably seen many times. But I've never actually read them. Have you? I have. But I never really thought about them to help with content warnings, only to help me protect my kids from adult content. As you probably know, the MPAA ratings go from G, like Finding Nemo, to NC-17. They get progressively more violent, sexual, and derogatory as we move away from the G movies. The letter rankings are an easy way to find the appropriateness of a movie. Another way that these ratings can help is that they often give brief descriptions of why a rating was given. So for example, Captain Marvel was given a PG-13 rating for sequences of sci-fi violence and action and brief suggestive language. But just the language used by MPAA, we can recognize that these ratings are not flawless. One problem is that these ratings were made to help parents in making decisions about what material they would let their children consume. In other words, a trauma-neutral approach. The MPAA was not created to take those who have experienced trauma into consideration when crafting the rating. It is also important to point out that the MPAA rankings don't take into consideration racism, misogyny, homophobia or transphobia, or other prejudice portrayals, which may be because they haven't been updated since 1990. While having the MPAA rankings are helpful in determining the level of violent and sexual content, Seeing discrimination or blatant bigotry on screen can also be triggering for folks. There are other resources out there that provide deeper dives on movies and TV shows that use trauma-informed approach. For those who know what their acute triggers are, we recommend two websites. One, Does the Dog Die? And two, UnconsentingMedia.org. Both resources offer a different level of awareness about possibly triggering media and will be shared in this podcast description. DoesTheDogDie.com advertises themselves as a crowdsourced emotional spoilers from TV, movies, books, and more. And when you go on their site, you can search by the exact show or movie you want to watch. 
or by triggering content. For example, I might want to recommend a guilty pleasure of mine, Fleabag, but I know there was content in the show that might make it difficult for some. So I looked up the show on Does the Dog Die? And different scenarios are asked, such as, is there addiction present? Or does a parent die? People with accounts are then able to give input in the form of yes or no to these questions. For instance, the question, does a parent die, has 14 yes responses and zero no responses. And people are allowed to put descriptions to go along with their responses. So this one had, while the death is not shown on screen, it is an important plot point. One thing to note, though, that this is a crowdfunded resource, which means that volunteers do what they can, but there can be inconsistency from one show to another, and even within episodes of a single season. Does the Dog Die is great for movies and specific triggers beyond sexual violence, and it covers everything from death to bugs to animal death. Since it has a broad selection of triggers, I strongly recommend it for those who are aware of their specific triggers. I also recommend Does the Dog Die for more popular and recent shows. Remember that because it's a crowdsourced site, volunteers tend to focus on more recent media. Unlike Does the Dog Die, unconsenting media is specifically focused on triggers relating to sexual violence. The website brands itself as a search engine for sexual violence and broadcasting. To explore the uses of the website, we plugged in one of the most infamously sexually violent shows of recent media history, Game of Thrones. Ah, Game of Thrones, a show with a complicated place in my heart. From showing inspiring, strong women standing up for themselves and what they believe in, looking at you, Brienne of Tarth and Yara Greyjoy, to unnecessary rape and violence against women, this show is constantly making me question things. While there are some truly great parts of the show, it's undeniable that there are scenes that can be extremely triggering for folks. It can be hard for a survivor to know which episodes are safe to watch, which is where unconsenting media might come in with a big assist. Immediately under the title of the show, there are a series of categories. They range from no rape or sexual assault to sexual relationships between an adult and a minor to rape on screen. There are many topics beyond what we listed, and hopefully they will be able to help you feel out if a show or movie is right for you. Beyond those big picture topics, the site gets to the descriptions. The descriptions tend to be episode by episode and give an account of the potentially triggering material. For instance, season one, episode one says, quote, a young woman is touched in a sexual fashion by her older brother. Although she does not resist, it is implied that she is uncomfortable, end quote. We'd again caution that this is a crowdsourced site and consistency is not always guaranteed. Both Does the Dog Die and Unconsenting Media rely on public input and you can provide input on your favorite shows. You may be thinking, okay, those are great and all for a show that's already come out, but what about live broadcasts? We're recording this episode in January, just weeks after our 46th president was sworn into office. Live debates, rallies, and other political media took over our world the past few months. It would be remiss of us not to talk about political news coverage after the impact felt of these last two presidential elections. On November 17, 2016, CBS News ran an article titled, Sexual Assault Survivors Struggle to Cope with the Trump Election. It went on to say that for many survivors of sexual assault, this presidential campaign felt nothing short of traumatic. With transphobic, anti-immigrant, racist, ableist, and misogynistic rhetoric, 
To white supremacist ideologies and policies, President Trump actively engaged in gaslighting, minimizing, and dehumanizing people when debating or tweeting, even going so far as to defend and incite white supremacist violence in his speeches. Advocacy is a political action. It doesn't matter where you fall on the political spectrum, survivors were hurting in the 2016 and 2020 election, when both the 45th and 46th presidents have been in the news for their pattern of normalizing harmful behavior and both dismissing and perpetrating violence against women and survivors. Interpersonal violence has no party affiliation. Survivors may feel a sense of betrayal or cognitive dissonance as they try to reconcile different aspects of themselves with their political affiliations. Institutional betrayal is a psychological process where survivors and victims of violence experience a second wave of trauma because of an institution or organization, deliberately or unknowingly causing harm to an individual who trusts or depends on that institution to keep them safe and treat them fairly. This happens in politics, national news coverage, and at our local level. This experience of institutional betrayal is something that we often hear about happening right here at CSU. In just the past several months, survivors have been minimized and called names by the administration of CSU for speaking up publicly about the ways in which their school has let them down. I strongly believe that everyone should be involved in some type of civic engagement, but this participation should not come at the price of your trauma. I also want to note here to our survivors of color and the LGBT communities that the sense of betrayal is even stronger as we hear your experiences negated and minimized time and time again. Your experiences are real. You deserve to be treated fairly and heard within our political process, and we believe you. It can be hard to balance the desire to be a more informed resident of the United States and also trying to protect yourself from triggers. Many people, such as news reporters and pundits, or that annoying uncle on social media will use the demeaning and dehumanizing term snowflake to gaslight people about the obvious dangers they face as individuals and as a nation. I encourage you to remember that the term snowflake and all the other horrible terms used to describe people they don't agree with is an attempt to undermine those who put their emotions into politics and fight for social justice. These are strengths, not weaknesses. News and social media will often use problematic language when talking about politics, especially towards folks of color. It's totally understandable to need to take a break from engaging in election coverage. To this end, there are a few ways to avoid triggering comments made on social media and in the news. One way is to avoid live broadcasts, since there's no real way of knowing what will come next. While this requires an extra labor and exclusion of survivors, it is the surest way to prevent triggering comments from entering your life unexpectedly. If you want to watch the news, maybe watch a recording or a virtual town hall after you've read the highlights or reviews posted by media sources. Checking Snopes or other fact-checking platforms can also be a great way to get verified information at your own pace. If you want to watch them live, having a plan in the event that something does trigger you can be really helpful. Those might include grounding techniques or watching with a support person. To help you in this process, check out the Emotional Safety Plan on our website. Um, We'll share that link in the description. Other alternatives to consuming media coverage or other live TV shows include taking part in a live tweet stream. That still might have some triggering language in the form of quotes and trolls. You can read a recap or talk to friends and family about their perception of the debate or show. The first two have less predictability than the third option. With friends and family, ideally, you'd be able to set boundaries about what topics you want to hear about and words or topics you'd rather they not mention. Speaking of boundaries, 
It can be difficult to set them with social media. For many of us, it's hard to envision a world where our phones are far away from us at any one time. That being said, platforms, particularly Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and TikTok, can contain toxic messages, explicit or implicit, that can trigger us. Because there are so many platforms, and each come with their own unique risks and opportunities, we won't be able to dive into them all here. While there's no screening device that blocks certain content, it's helpful to remind yourself that you do have some control over your feed. You can't control what people say, but you do control who you follow. Facebook now offers the option to unfollow accounts, which means their content doesn't show up on your feed and they don't get a notice that you've unfollowed them. Facebook is also notorious for its charged political content and questionable news sources for articles and videos. And speaking of videos, let's talk about TikTok. TikTok is the land of videos, from hilariously weird ones to awesome dance moves. It also has the potential to be triggering for folks, since videos play as you scroll. Like most of the social media we'll talk about, you have the option to block and report other users. By going into privacy controls, you can also control who can comment on your videos or send you messages. But a really cool feature is that if you press and hold on a video, you can adjust your preferences to avoid videos you don't like or to see more videos that you do like. By spending a little time adjusting your preferences, you can make TikTok a fun place to be. While I personally don't go on TikTok very often, one place I do spend a lot of my time is Instagram. Me too, Rachel. While Instagram can be an ideal place to show off that cute kitten you live with, it can also place unrealistic expectations on our lives. Pictures of our friends and inspiring activities are great so long as they motivate us and bring out joy. However, when we start comparing our lives to another person's account, things can go awry. Remember that an account is not an exact representation of a person's life. Instead, some accounts are a carefully curated set of images meant to promote scarcity and envy. If you're feeling down because you can't take part in social media trends, whether because of marginalized identities or managing trauma, maybe it's time to consider nixing Instagram, or at very least, doing a rehaul. For all that social media can be problematic, it can also be a great place of healing and activism. I have definitely spent time this past year working to recreate my accounts to be healthier for me following accounts that remind me that not everyone is doing okay during COVID-19, reminding me to practice real on-the-ground self-care with a sprinkling of cute animals and plants. Now seems like a great time to plug our WGAC Instagram too. It's at CSU underscore WGAC. We've got some good content out there. Okay, moving on to another complicated platform. Let's talk about Snapchat. Part of Snapchat's appeal is secrecy and photos that get erased with no trail, which tends to empower aggressors, hello unsolicited dick pics, and allows abuse to happen with no record. Technically, sending nudes on Snapchat is against their community rules, but that doesn't seem to stop folks. That being said, Snapchat is also great for getting pictures of cats, funny life updates, and weird things we see in our everyday lives. Like with most topics we've covered here, it will be up to you to set boundaries with how and why you use Snapchat. Just like with most apps, you can set your preferences, make your account private, and delete or report harmful accounts. You could also avoid opening snaps from people who have a history of breaching your boundaries or from unknown numbers. While you do have control over who you follow, you can't control what those people post. 
The hope is that you will take some time to find people who are as untriggering for you as possible, store up skills and resources for when you are triggered, and put your well-being well before any celebrity. Cultivating healthy media habits is, at its core, boundary setting. Boundary setting is an essential skill for everyone to practice, and it can be even more important for survivors. Boundaries can be outward-facing between ourselves and others, or internal. Setting boundaries works best when you acknowledge, set, and communicate them before they are needed. I think it's helpful to think about this practice as a form of self-care and safety planning. It's never selfish to set boundaries, and it is likely to improve your relationships with individuals and with media. A good first step is to identify which platforms or media types are the most important to you and which people you need to set boundaries with. For instance, you could identify that Instagram is triggering your anxiety. Perhaps you can set aside a few minutes when you're feeling steady to go through your feed and reflect on whether an account fills your cup or not. If it does, keep it. If it doesn't, get rid of it. Personally, I love Instagram, whereas Twitter is just not a healthy place for me. One of the things I suggest is to think about taking a social media break to help yourself reset and de-escalate your reactions to different content. A temporary social media cleanse may be enough to help you identify what role media plays in your life, and then you can re-engage it. You may find that your quality of life improves without social media, and that's not worth reintroducing into your life at all. There's also a chance that some platforms bring you joy while others reduce it. It's not an all-or-nothing game. Take the time to figure out which combo works best for you. Social media is, of course, social, and that means that you have to interact with other people when setting boundaries. It's going to be up to you to set and follow boundaries with friends and family about media. Again, taking the time to be proactive and identifying which topics are off-limits and to which people, it can be difficult to set those boundaries with individuals who don't know or acknowledge your triggers or trauma. Just remember that you deserve to have your boundaries respected. You may have to remind an individual several times about your boundaries. In cases like this, consider how you can avoid or redirect conversations. Avoiding a situation may be leaving a physical or virtual space, or making sure that you don't sit in the same area as someone. Redirecting conversations are for when you can't avoid them or the conversation. Sometimes you've just got to bail. Make sure you've identified a safer place that you can go to to decompress and recenter yourself. Just to take a break. We've talked about a lot of things in this episode, and it can seem really daunting to many because media seems so omnipresent in our lives. But with a little planning and self-compassion, we know that you can set boundaries to have healthier relationships with your media content. Just remember, it's not an all-or-nothing game. Don't pressure yourselves to try everything all at once. Take what you need from this episode. Before we wrap up this particular episode, we want to take a moment to say a big thank you to Jenna Matsumura, who played a huge role in crafting this episode, and even recorded pieces originally meant to be played. But due to some unfortunate technical issues, her pieces needed to be re-recorded after she'd already moved on to her next big adventure. Much of what you heard in this episode is a product of her hard work and passion. So thank you, Jenna. That's all we have for this episode of We Believe You, Advocacy, Resources, and Healing Around Interpersonal Trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide you support for all CSU students, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. And if you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at 
C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership here with KCSU at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.